Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com. Listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to learn, to love, and accept one another. Even if we disagree with each other, we've got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God intends for us to do. And this podcast isn't about the technical and deep things about church and faith, but rather how to make those things a real part of our life simply by listening. And this week, we have the privilege of listening to Jack Bingham and his story as I met him on Twitter, all tattooed and pierced up, a total drug addict, but now a powerful voice in evangelization. And if you enjoy this show and want to support our efforts, you can either go to platinggrace.com and click on donate, or better yet, join the Academy. And there, as a tiered member, you not only share us support, but you get premium content and extra special perks. But for now, please enjoy this deep dish discussion on Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, and Jack Bingham. Jack Bingham, welcome to Shoot the Shiitake. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I will admit to everybody that I, we have not met but somehow you got retweeted on Twitter and, and I was kind of impressed with some of the things that you said simply because what you said did not correspond to what I saw. Your Twitter handle, uh, your appearance, you're all tatted up. I mean, how many tattoos do you have, by the way? Uh, yeah, I, someone asked me that recently, so I counted. I have like 60 maybe. 60, and how many piercings do you have? Uh, I have, I don't have many in now, but I had about like five or six in that Twitter picture, I think. <laughs> okay. And you were talking about how much you love the blessed mother. So my mind just went, what just <laughs> happened? Okay. So let me figure out a few things about you first and foremost. Where did you grow up and where do you currently live? So I was born in Scarborough, which is like a suburb of Toronto. Uh, after that, we moved to a town called Sutton. It's about an hour away, an hour north. And uh, that's where I grew up in the formative years, I would say. And then in my late teens, I moved back to Scarborough and then downtown. And now I live back in Sutton. Okay. And in those formative years, what did you do? What did you get into? Because I, I'm a little fascinated by your story. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly seamless. Uh, nobody's life is, but I, I guess mine was probably even worse. Like, an atypical amount of trouble. So I guess I had real bad problems with mental illness. Um, when I probably starting when I was around nine, uh, I guess I was born and baptized and stuff like that. My mom is super, you know, devoutly Catholic. She goes to church and the whole bit. And so growing up, she was always doing that. And I didn't like it. I wasn't into it. My dad doesn't really go. 
So it was never like really that forced upon me like a bit at the beginning. But then as time went on, it was like, okay, even when I was like, probably like 10, it was like, whatever, he can do his own thing if that's what he feels suits him. Um, which I think actually was for the best because I, I come to believe now that the best type of maybe spirituality or religiosity or however you pronounce that is uh, coming to it on your own understanding it on your own and really believing it as opposed to just kind of going with the flow but so at the beginning outside of the home i got i went through like sexual trauma pretty continuously for a couple years when i was i think starting around six years old until eight like my memory is not too great back then but i remember kind of that really beat down my spirit and i did have some sort of understanding of god a little bit like my mom would take me to church like I said and uh, like I knew the the standard prayers and all that but I didn't understand you know the will of God or any sort of actual you know understanding of God I just thought well if this bad thing happened and now I feel horrible God doesn't love me or God isn't real and to make sure I understand and I don't ever want to pry or get too personal but you're talking about sexual trauma being child abuse or or some sort of sexual abuse yeah yeah so yeah and, and uh like i said i always stress it was outside the home like i have a good family stuff like that sure. um and 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 they just didn't know what was going on and it was i eventually told them and everything got settled but is that the same thing as just like kids experimenting or was this truly a form of abuse and either way it's devastating to a person's formation but yeah, uh, it was with another child, so I don't really know, you know, like, I don't have a lot of memory. It wasn't like, yeah. Okay, probably but either a, a way, little it, bit, it freaked yeah. you out. It freaked me out, and uh, it, and, and since it lasted so long, it, it was sort of this, like, clandestine thing that had happened, and I didn't want other people to know, and um, it was, like, homosexual. So that was like, for some, there was like another layer of shame because, you know, I'm attracted to women. I just thought the whole thing was off-putting. And, and kids, uh, how old were you though? Yeah, like six. Okay, so I mean, I hate to say it and I'm not diminishing it, but by six years old, you are coming to the age of reason. And so you knew what yeah. was right and wrong. And that's why yeah. all type of physical and sexual trauma is wrong. But for you, you just kind of knew that it was not a good thing to be doing this with another kid in the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. that stuck with you and that kind of freaked you out. And so what happened then? So I started to develop all these like neurotic symptoms. Um, I just felt unclean, I suppose. Like I, I sort of learned later on that it was more or less uh, the shame or whatever it was, the embarrassment, whatever word. Um, that sort of manifested into a actual physical feeling of uncleanliness. So I was like very paranoid about bodily fluids mainly. I was washing my hands all the time until they would bleed. And like in Canada, it gets cold. And so I, I was in Canada and you know, it'd be the winter and my hands would be all cracked and bleeding because I was washing them so much, the soap would dry them out. And that slowly just progressed into like full blown insane, like, actual insanity like irrational thoughts of like even the air was contaminated so I wouldn't be able to breathe in certain places or um, I was afraid of the wind because I thought it was blowing contamination towards me and 
So now, what were your I, parents going through through all of this? Because they're seeing their kids' hands bleeding and just becoming neurotic, really. And what were they going yeah. through? Well, so my, I think my dad's thought was, well, he'll outgrow it or whatever. He's just a, a bit of an odd kid. And I always was an odd kid. So it wasn't like, it, it, you know, it wasn't that strange that I was behaving oddly. But my mom was pretty worried about it. And, you know, she would take me to like a child psychiatrist or a therapist and all these different things. They tried medications, all this stuff. And I never really wanted to say what was the genesis of the problem. So I never really, I was always trying to solve a symptom instead of solving the problem. And I had no success and things got so bad where I could barely go to school. Um, like I would miss weeks and weeks or I would you know, be afraid to go on the school bus because I thought it was contaminated. Or if I did go to school, I couldn't really sit on the chairs and I would, it, it, it debilitated my entire life and basically ruined like my whole childhood, honestly, um, looking back on it. And so you went through this for how long? Yeah. So that lasted like 12 years. Um, so from, I got from six years old for 12 years on into your twenties. Yes. Yeah. And so how did you survive, especially well, your teen years? Well, that's exactly, <laughs> that's why I had another, I had developed another problem as a coping strategy initially, right? Like, uh, I never really, I, I don't know, I didn't really know how to deal with it. And it was becoming, like you said, like, it's, it's hard to be social. And like, I used to play, you know, hockey, it's really big around where I'm from. And so at a certain point, it became difficult to even like do the things I enjoyed, right? Because um, I liked being active and going outside, but I, it was just not a possibility at a certain point, just because with all the, you know, the anxiety about everything. And so uh, I just started like smoking weed, like marijuana and uh, drinking. And it wasn't so much that it like cured the OCD or whatever. It, it made me okay with it. Like there was a, there was a level of like, um, I felt disillusioned maybe, or I felt just tired and exhausted. It's like, Oh, I touched this. And now my hand feels dirty. Time to go wash it for the 50th time today. Like at a certain point that just becomes so taxing on, on me. So when I would be drunk or on drugs, I would feel, Oh, I can do this. It's okay. I feel good internally. I just have to do this external thing. There wasn't as much anxiety, the impetus to react to my compulsions wasn't as strong. And so I took to that like, a, like, you know, like a fish to water. I was just, I, I, you know, I, I smoked weed like one time, got drunk one time. And it was like, I'm doing this every day for the rest of my life. And so it was just weed and drugs or was there anything else? Any other type of higher yeah. drug? Content? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I ended up getting into hard drugs. Um, cause How old were you? I would have been probably 18 or 19. Okay. So, but even like in those 15 and 16 year old age, you were, you were still pretty much a healthy young man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was drinking a lot. Um, even at that age, at a young, young age. Yeah. Cause here you're allowed to drink at 19. Um, but you pushed it to 14 and 15. Well, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, it's easier to know a 19 year old than it is probably to know like a 21 year old in America. Right. So, it was, yeah, like every day, every day. Okay. And so how did uh, this kind of wind up for you? I mean, by 18 years old, you were doing some hardcore drugs. Yeah. So what happens next? 
Well, everything kind of reached a pinnacle. I, you know, like people who go through drug addiction talk about like a bottom, but it's really a series of bottoms that kind of like really beats me. That's what happened to me. It really beat me down. So there was a couple, when I was 18, I had moved out and I had this little apartment uh, in downtown Toronto and I was doing drugs. And at a certain point I became physically addicted right? Even to the alcohol, like I would go through withdrawal symptoms if I didn't drink. And so I ran out one day and I had no money and I was stealing a lot just to make, eat food because I spent all my money on drugs. Like I couldn't afford anything. And, and you're talking so, about stealing what? Just uh, food, stealing money from people? Food. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, if I was at, like a house party and I saw something, I would have stolen it, money or whatever. But for the most part, if I was going out to steal, it was just food. Like I was, I had all my money went to this and uh, I had a lot of trouble keeping down a job because I was, you know, you can't really, sh they you can only show up out, out of your mind a couple times before they let you go. But, and I had gotten kicked out of school for being truant and all this stuff. So I was basically just stealing and doing drugs and trying to make it through. Um, and then I, hit withdrawal at a certain point I ran out and I thought I can make it through the night whatever I could not um at the, the that morning I was like if I closed my eyes it was like hallucinations I was like sweating shaking I was freaking out so I called my mom and she came and got me and brought me home and then for the next I thought in my head I thought well I just got to quit for like a little while maybe like take a month off and then I can go back to being a normal person and control it this time. And by the time I got home, one of my buddies called me and said, Hey, do you want to like go hang out, get drunk? And I was like, yeah. And I made it maybe a few hours. And then the next two years were just hard drugs. The drugs kept getting, you know, like from pills to different powder. And it just, it kept escalating to the point where my whole life was going out of control. And you had a social life though, and all of your social buddies were, were all drug addicts as well or did you have any clean friends or good people uh, and yeah i did yeah like my friends from high school or like uh, elementary school and stuff like that they were normal uh like normal or whatever right um but at a, i i at a certain point it stops being like a party thing and then develops into i don't even want to see people because i don't want them to see me so I'm just going to buy drugs and then go home and do it in the basement alone. And that's it. So the OCD obviously was not an issue anymore because I mean, sorry to say this, but drug addicts are not the cleanest people. Oh, so, uh, well, yeah, well, it's weird because the OCD was only about these bodily fluids. So I was still neurotic. Like but spit, I was like tears and yeah, and, and like obviously sexual flu okay, well. Yeah, and like I was like paranoid that it was everywhere. Like it's hard to explain. It sounds nuts, right? But like basically a quick example could be like if someone went to the washroom and then they came out and then I saw them later touching their belt, I'd be like, Well, they went to the washroom, they probably tied their belt before they washed their hands. So now they touch their belt, their hands are dirty. If they walk by me, part of their skin will come off. And it'll go on to me and I'll breathe it in and I would like cough and shake around to try and get it away from me. Like it was like really And psychologists were not able to help you with that? No, they wanted to do like an inpatient treatment for months. 
And uh, what ended up happening was I basically got cured in one day by a miracle. It sounds crazy, but it was basically the start of my journey into. Uh, we need to talk well, about that. <laughs> yeah. Then we need I, to talk yeah. about that because, because there's something very inconsistent sounding. It's like you are going through the OCD, you use the drugs in order to calm the OCD down. But at the same time, again, drugs doesn't lead to cleanliness. You're worried about bodily fluids. I can understand maybe from the sexual trauma and such, but you're no longer OCD and you're not addicted. How did all of this happen? Yeah. Okay. So about, I'm, let me think here. About a year and a half before I got sober, uh, my OCD was really, really bad. Like what I was, year was that? Just about how old were you at the time? Uh, that was 2017. So I would have been 21. Okay. So I, it was December. I remember December 14th. So the OCD and the, and the drug use had gotten to the point where I couldn't function. Like I would literally just use drugs and then shower all day. Like, that's what I mean. Like, so it, it sounds inconsistent, but it was like the only drug lifestyle part of it was the using of drugs. Everything else, I was at home alone doing compulsions. And my parents were convinced I was going to die. I wanted to kill myself, um, understandably, I think. And so my mom wouldn't let me stay at home alone. So she took me to her work uh, this one morning because she was really worried. Things were spiraling out of control. And so she took me to her work and she works at a church, a Catholic church. Um, so she had an office and then there was like a bathroom, like her own little bathroom. And I was in there washing my hands for like maybe two hours, honestly, like up to my elbows, just constantly washing. And this woman who we knew, and uh, she, she, she was like a parishioner at this church and she was friends with my mom and she's old, she was older, like in her eighties. And she comes into the washroom and like grabs my elbow and says, you, which by the way, annoyed me because I was like, now I have to wash this elbow and like all this stuff. But so she holds on to me and says, I can help you. And I was like, I don't know. Like, she's like, if you come to my house after you're here with your mom, I'll help you. And it was the weirdest thing because I had no belief in really much of anything. But for some reason, I believed her. It was like super weird. And then it, it gets even weirder. So I go to her apartment. I had never even been there. Um, I'm driving Wait, with- what does your mother think about all of this? Well, my mom is really close with her. Oh, and it's so almost it's your like, friends. Got it. Yeah, like my mom is really close friends with her. And I, you know, I'd seen her here and there. Um, but what I ended up happening, so I'm like driving with socks over my hands because I don't want to touch the steering wheel. And I show up to this apartment building and I go inside and there's a Catholic priest in there and it's her brother. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like I haven't, you know, I hadn't been to church in a long time, like, like to mass or anything. And I was like, man, this is kind of, this is weird. But I, it felt so, I don't know. It felt like it made sense somehow. Like in my head, I was like, if there is signs, you know, from God, this might be it. Like this ultra Catholic woman I know. And then her priest brother who I didn't even know she had is like sitting in there and he says hello to me or whatever and we go into like her little office area and because she used to oh, I forgot to mention should have mentioned she used to be a therapist and so she hadn't taken clients obviously you know she was in in her later years now but um 
she sat down with me and she basically said, explain everything that's happened and why you're like this. And I, for some reason, just had the willingness to talk about things I couldn't talk about before. And I you laid it all therapist. Yeah, exactly. Like I had never mentioned it really. And so I laid it all out. And then she, I can't explain it. Like, uh, so I could, when with my OCD, if I had, if let's say on my hand, I felt like it's contaminated, I could feel it. There was like a weight to it almost. And so I had that feeling that I needed to wash my hand because I shook her brother's hand. With and, a sock or without a sock? Without a sock because I wanted to be normal. And so I'm like sitting there with my hand kind of extended the whole time because I'm waiting to wash it. I don't want to touch anything else with it. And as she's talking to me, she's basically telling me that this is all a lie created in the mind of a child and I don't need to be like this and there's nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, she's talking about God and the Holy Spirit and all this stuff I had never really thought about. And this feeling overcame me and my hand like felt normal and I was freaking out. I, I cried. I, and so I leave, I call my mom. I'm hysterical on the phone. I'm like, I think I'm cured. I'm touching things. I drive into, and my mom thinks I'm on drugs. She thinks I didn't go to the appointment. She's like, you're talking crazy. So I drive home, it's like five minutes, and my mom's waiting there, and I run up and I open the door with my hand, and I hadn't done it in like 12 years. Like I had never touched it. And my mom sees this, and she starts bawling her eyes out and crying, and we hugged for the first time in like a decade, because I was so afraid to touch people. And it was like, it was insane. And <laughs> it sounds insane even saying it, right? Like I, um, it was the best day of my life, probably. It was December 14th, 2017. So what, what, what was the brother's role, if anything, the priest? See, he didn't have a role. And I didn't even really connect that dot until later. But I just felt there was something about his presence that may, I, I don't know. I just, since I had been getting into trouble my whole life, I sort of just saw like and the way I look and stuff I always just felt maybe um that these types of people don't care about me you know like I I don't know it, it was all in my head but I I can't really explain it it's like oh these people what do you mean by the way you look with all the tattoos yeah with all the tattoos and at the time I had like this crazy hair it was like long and pink and I just looked pink yeah it was pink yeah okay great and can I ask you um did you have tattoos at what age what was the age when you started getting all the yeah tattoos? like 18 yeah. 18 but i mean it's interesting so the tattoos didn't freak you out with like hygienics or oh i i basically had to be loaded in order to get a tattoo because yeah it freaked me right out and i would spend the whole day doing a compulsion after what was your desire for a tattoo i just kind of have to ask you that yeah i was insecure um i felt like uh maybe girls don't like me. And it's just like, you know, I was just really insecure about myself. Did and you I have figured, a girlfriend growing up? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, in high school and stuff. But I always just felt, I always was like crippled with insecurity for some reason. I had like a lot of acne and stuff and I just felt like horrible. But with the girlfriend, again, super personal and I don't want to be probing, but I'm just trying to understand how the OCD with cleanliness, did you kiss her? Was there any physical content, contact? Yeah. 
it almost makes no sense, but I, I was able to do stuff like that. Um, but it was very ritualized. Like it would be like, okay, like I, I know I've been with you. I'll make, like, I would make her wash her hands and stuff. Like I was just like, I was very controlling in that way. Cause I, I was so obsessed with this. And if we did have any sort of interaction, um, I would, you know, shower, like really clean myself. Like it was, it was a bit extreme. It was almost not worth it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And so the insecurity was there. I can understand that people who don't look the part, which is one reason why I was in a sense interested in getting to know you and your story more because you don't necessarily look the part of someone who does believe in God. In fact, yeah. you would look like you would be rebellious and, and truly agnostic. But it wasn't that you were agnostic or atheist. It's just that you didn't feel welcomed. Oh, no. I, I was against religion. Organized religion? I was against, yeah, and I was against the belief in God. I thought it was stupid. Um, I would have conversations all the time with my mom, telling her she's, it's horrible, but I would say, you know, you're stupid if you believe in this, you know, and uh, it's just a way for people to cope with so they don't fall into nihilism or something. This is what I thought my whole life. So, mm -hmm. And was your mom and dad, were they still married? Are they still married? Yeah, they're still married. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any and siblings? I have one brother. I have a younger brother. He's eight years younger than me. Eight years younger. Does he have any of the same tendencies or? Uh, it's not with drugs and stuff, but he's a bit neurotic. Yeah. I think it he's, runs in the family. Okay. So neuroticism kind of does run in the family to a degree. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you get to this point where you're how old? 21 years old. You mentioned. Yeah. December 14th, very stuck in your mind. You go home, you hug your mom. You think you're cured. Did this woman say any prayers, do any ritual, do any kind of like, I don't know, lay her hand on you? Um, yeah, she did touch my hand. And uh, she, I can't remember. She did say a prayer. And, you know, I was just so overwhelmed. I don't really remember what it was, but I think it was like, uh, yeah, something about casting out fear or something like that. And so I wasn't necessarily cured, right? it felt that way. What it really was, was I'm now willing to never do a compulsion again. So the fear was still there, but I was able to just go, no, I'm going to push through this. And it took probably a month of just refusing to do a compulsion. And then I was, I, all those fears basically went away. So after this initial content, um, you, still had the fears, but you just had the courage to not wash yourself for hours. Exactly. Yeah. Did you see it kind of like reduce or did you just see no hand washing, you know, like outside of typical things? I sort of realized like, if I do it once, I'll go right back. So I didn't do it at all. Yeah. So you didn't take a shower? Oh, I mean, like I only did regular my showers were hours long and I'd have to shower in between every time I took a pee, for example. Mm. So I stopped doing that. I would, I would literally make my mom time my showers to be five minutes or less. And I did that for about a month. You did that for about a month. And then after that, you just didn't do it at all. Right. After that, I was good. 
and it's and uh, a person who knows about psychology i didn't know this at the time either but it was like that's actually how they treat it right exposure response therapy they basically force you to face the fear and it's not so much that the fear goes away it's that you your ability to deal with it gets so strong that you just feel normal at a certain point why did you think that you can tell this therapist about all of your background and not the others I, I, I honestly don't know. Now I would say it's because I knew she was Catholic and somehow that meant something to me because I was always really close to my mom and my mom was like the only Catholic person I knew. And I was always way closer to her than I was anybody else. And so I think maybe there was that comfortability there of like, this is like a person, this is like my mom. Like this is like someone I can confide in. I think it's also the same reason I was drawn to that you know, that picture with me and the candle of Mary is because it's like- Tell me I about just, that. I, I'm not familiar with that story. Oh, no, I mean like uh, that. Oh, maybe you saw a different tweet, but one of the tweets I had that got a lot of retweets was like me holding a candle of the Virgin Mary. And like, that was like, you know, like Catholicism is about like Christ and his salvation, but I seem to have this, I, I, I just really like, the Virgin Mary. I don't know. I love her. And I just like, I feel so comforted by that, like maternal presence. And so it's like, I, I think all these things kind of correlate, like my relationship with my mom was really strong. And then this therapist woman, and then that was like the next step, right? It was like a step, you know, one step up. And then eventually I'm like praying the rosary. And I'm like, what am I even doing? Like, I've never thought about this stuff in my life, but. So you're, so what are you doing now? Because it sounds to me like you are very much living a healthy life. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, it took some time. So after the OCD breakthrough, I was still using drugs and drinking. I, I was still massively depressed. I, I, I was willing to believe in God but I didn't believe in God yet, if that makes sense. I wasn't necessarily at that spot, but I was no longer this closed-minded person. And I ended up going through even worse times, actually, because I was like, like I, I tried to kill myself. I was in the hospital, the whole thing. And uh, that lasted about another year and a half. But then, as you know, it, the weird part about like a bottom or whatever, it's more of a spiritual thing than like a physical thing. I was at home. And it was another day of using, drinking and all that. And I just, I was like, I'm just going to not do this. Like I need help. And so I'd been going to like AA meetings. Um, and I just called this guy that I knew. Um, and I said, just help me get better. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And it's the same thing as the OCD. It's, I was just willing to do it for whatever reason. At that moment, I had this courage to go, I can't, if I continue this, I'll die. And so. I just, I was willing. And that's all it took was if I'm, if you're willing to do whatever it takes, I think you can overcome almost anything. So. And right now, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. So, uh, I ended up, you know, like enrolling in university. Uh, I graduate in December, which is great. The semester starts. I don't know what it's like for you guys, but here in Canada, we start after Labor Day. So, um, I guess it'd be on Tuesday I start school uh, for my final semester. I'm hoping to get get into the master's degree um, program for theological studies at St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto. 
Um, hopefully that goes well. I got a, I was talking to one of the people I'm going to get a reference from today, actually. And so hopefully that goes well. Uh, I got engaged to be married, like everything changed. Like, and, and I, I, I do want to talk a bit about that. It was, uh, so I got, I, the OCD was fixed. The, at a certain point I did the 12 steps and I overcame the addiction and I still continue to do those things. And then the last one was like the typical male problem. I think where a lot of Catholic men, you know, like masturbation, sex, all this stuff. That's like a more natural impulse than using drugs or something. But that I realized also needed to be fixed. And so that was a big part of my 12 step recovery too, was like, none of this, none of those behaviors anymore. And uh, that was probably one of the harder things, just because like I said, it's a natural kind of, you see a beautiful woman, you think, oh, you know, whatever. But I was like, okay, I need to figure out a way to do life properly. And I just realized that the Catholic church teaches this proper way. And if they knew that, if I can read what the Catholic church believes, and it's been the same for 2000 years, and it's relevant today, and it only gets more relevant each day, it's got to be from God. That was like, that was like the, you know, the clinching moment for me. And, and yeah. Do I understand you wrote a book too? Yeah, I wrote a book. So I, I actually wrote the book before I got fully sober. I, I, it was, I got sober for like three months, and then I wrote this book, got it published, and then I relapsed. And then about a year later, I got sober until today. And so is the book relevant still? Yeah. So yeah, the book's relevant. The book ends. I mean, I'm not going to give away the very ending, but uh, the book, the book is relevant and it gave me some opportunities. Um, like people, some guy read it and I like went to Los Angeles and did an interview there with him, which was really cool. And uh, it's just been really fun. Like, uh, I don't know. I wrote the book. I didn't expect anything to come of it. And, but my psychiatrist is an author. So he, basically got me through with this publishing thing and yeah. So self-care, where are you with it all now? Yeah. So there's certain prayers I say that are maybe related heavily to addiction. Uh, we have like something called the third step prayer in the 12 step community. And so I'd say that, uh, in the Is morning the serenity prayer. Uh, it's not the serenity prayer, but I also say that. So the serenity prayer, there's this third step prayer. Can you tell um, us what that prayer is? Yeah. So, uh, okay. Let me, let me think. I usually read it, but I do know it. Um, or it's essence. God, yeah. Like God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou will, um, relieve me of the bondage of self, um, that I may better do thy will. I, I might've missed a line, but that's basically it is like remove the person who's screwing up is me. If I remove myself, I can focus on, you know, the real presence. Okay. And so there's how that. About, how about and then, church and confession and sacraments and things that Catholics oh, yeah. do? Yeah, big time. So yeah, I, I mean, I go to mass. I sometimes go to weekday mass, depending on if I can make it. What uh, do the little old ladies think when you pop in to church? Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, people, it, yeah, you get some looks for sure, especially with what I mean, I cut my hair now, but I had this like crazy pink hair and all these tattoos and I dressed weird and I could tell people were like, I can't believe this guy goes to church. But at the same time, I think, you know, someone came up to my mom and said, uh, you know, it's really inspiring. 
because clearly he didn't believe in anything. And I remember, uh, you know, I, I take the communion on the tongue and I, and that was not something I did right away. I didn't know, but like, I just ended wow, up just believing. to know that someone's fingers might be touching your mouth. I know. And so I ended up, you know, doing that, I guess, just because I, I was reading about like the true presence and all this. And I was like, sure. Oh, well, if that's real and I believe it's real, then I maybe should do that. I don't know. Right. It was just my thought process. And so I did that. And some woman came with my mom and said like, it was so beautiful. Like I, you know, he must really believe in this stuff. I can't believe the turnaround and stuff. And so it was cool. What are your actual uh, hopes and dreams right now? Um, I don't know. You know, I just, I, I want to have a family, which is why I'm engaged and I'm in love, obviously. But uh, so there's that. And then I just hope to continue doing stuff like this, like, I just like to tell people about what happened. I, I try to do some speaking when it's not COVID era and uh, just continue to write. I, I have another book written that's being published, should be coming out later in the year. And just, yeah, writing and, and try my best to just carry the message because that's really... What message know, is I, that? The, I, I honestly think it's the just the message of uh, Catholicism being the full expression of Christianity and the one true religion. Like, uh, I, there's a quote that has become my favorite the last couple of days that my fiance showed me. And it was like, I think a St. Bernadette quote. And it was like, I'm not here to convince, I'm here to inform. And I, I, I like that because that's what I needed. I didn't need someone to sit me down and go, this is why, this is the way it is. I just need someone to go, I was you and now I'm this. This is what I did. You know, if you're desperate enough, you'll try it and, you'll, and it'll work. And Final that, question. To me, yeah. Final question. We've never met, but I obviously I'm a Catholic priest. What can I do, Jack Bingham, to help you as a Catholic priest? What can I do to be of support and help to you? Just pray for me. Pray for me. I really believe in the power of prayer. My mom asked for Saint Augustine and Saint Monica's intercession every day, and I think that really helped. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jack Bingham was my special guest for this shoot, the shiitake. We hear his story, and when we return, I'm going to come back with my carryout order. What did I learn from my deep dish discussion with an impressive young man? Thanks for joining us, Jack, and God bless you. Thanks, you too. Welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. After my deep dish discussion, I've got some pretty important carryout order items here. Jack Bingham really kind of shared with me a few things that I think I need to think about more. That sexual trauma is real. And it's interesting that at such a young age, he knew that that was wrong. And so parents, you have to realize that you have to start talking with your children about what's right and wrong, about what's healthy, what's safe, what's good, true, and beautiful at an earlier age, because let's admit, the younger generation is experimenting and exploring way more. But there was something interesting about this, and it kind of keeps me inspired. He desired purity, but purity has to be within a theological understanding, not a biological or a psychologically distorted understanding. So purity is an incredibly necessary part of our existence, but you can see how if it is not done according to God's plan, then we can kind of become a little obsessive to the point of neurotic. So I'm just so grateful that he at least desired purity because 
let's admit some people could return to the vomit, so to speak, and return to the things that hurt the most. But I'm also really impressed with, how shall I say, even though he was considered an agnostic or an atheist, he loved his mother enough to know that that relationship was good and honest and true. And so it really shows all of us that if you're living a good and healthy life and a good and healthy relationship, even if your kids are struggling, they can come back to you. It's kind of like the prodigal son and the prodigal father, the son who wasted everything and the father who wasted everything for his son. And so a good relationship, a non-judgmental, a, a true presence at all times. And also, I'd have to say this, I, we didn't hear much about that priest, but I can tell you that that priest was probably interceding and his very presence, even though he didn't do anything, at least made an impact on Jack that he would be willing to talk with this other therapist um, who was approaching counseling, not just through a clinical point of, view, point of view, but maybe through a spiritual and even theological point of view. There is a lot here to kind of look at. Probably the most impressive was that the miracle would not necessarily be considered a miracle in terms of the church's standard because it has to be immediate and has to be permanent. But the miracle was the encounter of good people, that he encountered good people that helped him along the way. Because again, he talks about it being more of a process, but it began with this powerful encounter. And so I'm hoping that this show was an encounter for you to help you to see that good relationships and godly relationships matter. Never lose hope and always be there for people who are struggling. So I want to thank my special guest one more time, Jack Bingham, for joining me. Um, I hope that this was a powerful show for you. And again, if you want to support us, just simply go to platinggrace.com and either click donate, you could do it that way, or better yet, become a tiered member of the Academy. And in so doing, you get premium content and special perks. But between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, God bless you and stay hungry. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com dot app slash breadbox.